0: So today is God's great high priest for you. And I'm gonna use a passage that introduces us to the need and the sufficiency of the high priest that we have in our savior, Jesus Christ. It's gonna be Hebrews 4, 12 through 5, 2. I have the verses up here uh, on the PowerPoint that Brando is so graciously providing. And um, if you wanna open up your Bibles there, you can as well look along. I'm using the ESV, I believe for this text here so please uh read along with me these are the very words of the lord for us for the word of god is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and of spirit of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart and no creature is hidden from his sight but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need for every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to god to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weaknesses. I'm going to start out our examination of this passage this morning with what I'm going to call our problem. Our problem. Because the the very beginning passages, the verses 12 through 13, they present us with a problem that the rest of the passage seeks to solve. So I want to try to frame what the problem is by stating the bigger picture by, of, of this section of Hebrews. This section of Hebrews that that kind of climaxes in 12 and 13, where we're told that God's word is living and active and no creatures hidden from his sight and we're naked and exposed to the one to whom we have to give an account. This section is, is climaxing in, in this theme of examination and sobering evaluation and judgment of God. I don't mean judgment simply as God's condemnation, I mean judgment is in God examining us and coming to a judgment about us. And. And, and so what this whole section is calling us to is to make sure that we, and there's an irony here and attention we're going to talk about, but to make sure that we are experiencing the kind of faith that is authentic, that we are experiencing the kind of faith that is truly saving and authentic faith. And and the way that the chapter frames it is, is that it's faith that continues to hold on to the truth about our need for Jesus, about what he has done because of that need in being our sin bearer. Faith that continues to hold on to the truth that Jesus is the one who took care of our sin problem, so to speak. It's the kind of faith that also continues to hold on to the truth that Jesus is God's son. He is the authoritative Lord of our life, that he's worthy of a life of trust and following. Hebrews calls us, in other words, to have saving faith. (laughs) And the tension in it is, of course, we don't give ourselves saving faith we don't save ourselves. You know, that's the gospel core is that God is the one who saves. But Hebrews, if you trace the thought through the book, it calls us again and again to persevere in the faith that God's given us, to not give up on what God has told us about his son, and to not give up on following his son and thus show ourselves to have authentic, saving faith. And there's tension in there. I can't avoid it. I've you know, personally, I've, I've struggled with this tension for as long as I've been a Christian, whether I've known it or not. But this idea that I, I'm called to hold on to the truth, that God saves me of His grace, that my salvation is secure in what Christ has done, that it's not of myself, it's not by my works, it's all of grace. And yet, God calls me to persevere in continuing to believe him, to believe him for his salvation and to trust him for what he calls me to in following him in obeying him. So in Hebrews, we see that our faith is to be a true, authentic faith. And in Hebrews, we see that if our faith is true, authentic faith, it's going to show in our lives it's going to show itself truly in our lives hebrews and the rest of the bible tells us that if we really believe in christ and he's changed our hearts and saved us from our sin then that will look like something it will show itself it will show itself in various ways that the book describes it'll show itself in our continuing to fight to rest in what jesus has done for us it will show itself in our continuing to also fight our sin to obey jesus and follow him even when it is hard it will show itself in our continuing to come back to jesus when we fail again and again as we will another way of putting it is that real faith is faith that continues to pursue a life of holy love for jesus for our neighbor that that real authentic persevering saving faith is the kind of faith that shows up in our pursuit of a life of loving god and loving our neighbor that's a holy life loving god and loving our neighbor and and, and in one sense this is really clarifying like it's it's clarifying like we we can't say we belong to Jesus if we don't seek to follow him. We remember the words of the Lord in Matthew, I believe, when he says, "Why do you, he says to the crowd, "Why do you call me Lord, Lord and not do what I say? Why do you say that you believe that I'm really the Lord, but you have no interest in truly following me?" So it's clarifying. Like James clarifies it this way, "Faith without works is dead." If you say you have faith but nothing shows up in your life, there's no following the Lord, there's no loving your neighbor. Can such a faith James says really save a person? Hebrews 12:14, the book we're looking at, it puts it this way in various places one of the ways it puts it is this. Pursue holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Pursue holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. We might remember Jesus words in Luke 9:23. If anyone comes If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross every day and follow me. So, it's clarifying. It it helps us understand what real, authentic, saving faith is and does operationally in our hearts. It shows itself. It shows itself. But it's not just clarifying. (laughs) It's also sobering. I mean, it's not just, oh, okay, that's what authentic faith is. It's also like, oh, crud. <laughs> like, that's what authentic faith is. Like, oh, my goodness. Like, that's startling. That's um, uncomfortable. That's not as happy as I want it to feel. What happened to, I, I said a prayer and, and I, I, you know, I, I accepted Christ when I was five. Or, hey, once saved, always saved. What happened to, I, I, I believe the gospel. I believe he's the son of God. Well, all those things are true, but there's a more robust, more rounded picture of faith in Hebrews that we're called to see, and it's a sobering picture. It's a difficult picture, because the truth is, the things that saving faith exhibits, this following Christ, not giving up on him, fighting our sin— not giving up on that coming back to him when we fail those are things that we often naturally don't want to do we don't want to exhibit that kind of showing of our faith if we might call it in obedience we don't naturally want to do hard things and this is a problem hebrews 12-13 through tells us because there's no fooling god that's what that first section is about there's no fooling god He's going, he sees our hearts, he knows our hearts, he knows whether we're trusting him or not, he knows whether we're following him or not, and he is going to call us to an account for our lives, for what we've done with his son and what we've done with him. And this is the problem of Hebrews verses 12 through 13. This is the clarifying but sobering problem. That's why it says, I'll read it again, The word of God is living and active. in in other words, the Hebrews author is saying, I've been telling you, this is God's word. I've been showing you what God is like and how he acts towards us, how he sees our hearts and evaluates our hearts and how he knows our hearts. That's God's word for you. And he says, this word is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. It discerns the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. That's the problem. We can't escape God's perfect gaze that knows all things about our hearts, that evaluates our faith to see if we persevere, to see if our faith is just words and not heart. That's sobering, it's challenging, it's, it's scary. But then we move on from the problem to the most beautiful, amazing, almost startling solution of how God Himself comes and graciously, compassionately, tenderly meets us in that problem. He says this, the writer of Hebrews. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So in light of God's perfect sight and perfect evaluation and perfect judgments of our hearts, the author says, let's hold fast to our confession about this Jesus. Don't give up on this Jesus. Don't give up on God's very own son given for you. And here's why we should not give up on him as both our Savior to hope in and our Lord to follow. This is the the solution. God is now giving us reasons, amazing, beautiful, hope-giving, life-saving reasons why we should not give up on a wholehearted, robust faith, on a full faith that says with our lips, Jesus is who he says, but also follows with our heart and fights our sin and keeps getting back up when we fall. First, he says, we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens. We have a high priest. Fundamentally, we don't use priest languages uh, you know, as much as I did when I was growing up Catholic, but a priest fundamentally is someone who represents people before God with an offering. He intercedes for them on the basis of that offering. In the Old Testament, the Jewish priests would offer God the blood of animal sacrifices, and on the basis of that offering, they would intercede for the sins of the people. And so the author of Hebrews is reminding us that we have a much better priest, that we have a priest who has gone not into a temple made by human hands to offer the blood of goats and bulls, that we have a high priest who's gone into God's very presence and who right now intercedes for you on the basis of his very own blood poured out for all of your sins. That's what the author is reminding us first and why we should not give up on following Christ wholeheartedly, why we should not give up in light of our failures, in light of our struggles, why we should not give up. Because this moment, this very moment at 10 all right, at 11:05 a.m. This very moment of your life you have a high priest who in light of your whole life and all of your failures being laid bare before God being open to his gaze and his evaluation and his judgment you have a high priest that God has given you who who before God's court courtroom is your representative your intercessor, your advocate, your interposer, as Kim talked to us earlier and we sang, he intercedes for you about all your failures, about all your struggles, about all of your sins. He intercedes for you and he intercedes for you, not with your promises of doing better tomorrow, not with your better day so far today, not according to future better conduct or some qualifications and how, you know, what you did really wasn't that bad. He intercedes with you, for you according to his shed blood, the blood of God's own son poured out for you. And so that's the first encouragement. And, and the, the author would want us to ask, what do you think is gonna win the day before God? In light of the reality of of your selfishness, if you really knew your heart in light of the ways that you fall short to love God with all your mind, soul, and strength, and all the ways that you fail to love your neighbor as yourself, what do you think is gonna win the day before God? Those sins, those failures, that selfishness, or the precious blood of God's very own Son poured out for those sins, that selfishness, those failures? And there is no contest, the author wants us to know. There is no contest. Your selfishness, it cannot win the day in God's courtroom. It can't overcome the blood of God's son poured out for you. His blood is going to win the day in God's heart over your selfishness, over your failures, over your sins. His blood is going to win the day every moment. And so he says, you have a great high priest who has gone into the heavens. Don't give up. Don't give up on following Jesus wholeheartedly. Don't give up. Secondly, he tells us, we have a great high priest who has great sympathy for us in our struggle against sin. We have a great high priest who has great sympathy for us in our struggle against sin. He doesn't just offer his blood for our sins. He feels in his heart for us in our sin struggles. That's what 15 says, verse 15. We have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin, he is able to sympathize for us. This sentence that, that he is sympathizing for us and our weaknesses, it it has absolutely shocking implications if we just take time to marinate it. When Jesus sees you wrestling with sin, when He sees you tempted by sin, struggling with the weight of obeying Him, with just the battle with just not wanting to, not thinking you can, not not loving him as you should, not trusting him as you should, when he sees indwelling sin and selfishness trying to lure you away from him into some various easy way out, addiction, anger, unbridled anxiety, lethargy, when he sees it calling you to an angry word, to a judgmental heart, to a lustful look, to a cold indifference, to a cowardly apathy, when he sees you experiencing the profound vulnerability you have to those things that draw you away from him, when he sees you experiencing the profound vulnerability you have to those things that are seeking to draw you away from him, do you know what happens in his heart towards you? Sympathy, sympathy, compassion. That word sympathy, it's, it's in the Greek, it, it means literally to suffer with, to suffer with. And it's how we get our, our the Latin word that turns into compassion. Come, you know, it's co, passion is suffering. Suffer with, co, with, passion, suffering. Jesus <laughs> suffers with you. He feels compassion and sympathy toward you when you are battling with temptations to abandon him, to ignore him, to despise him, to disregard him and others. He sees that struggle, your vulnerability to that sin, and he suffers with you. He sympathizes. He has compassion for you in that. Just sit with that for a second. I need I mean I've needed to sit with that this week. Bring in any sin battle you have. You're tempted to click on an image you know you shouldn't. You're tempted to take the easy way out at work and spend the afternoon, you know, on YouTube looking at your favorite movie clips. You're tempted to ignore the homework or to cheat on the exam. You're tempted to slander your neighbor, just low-grade gossip in a mean way about people. You're you're tempted You're tempted to just judge your spouse or your kids with anger. You're tempted to to keep back from the needy or maybe from the church what you believe God wants you to give in your talents, your time, your treasure. You're tempted to unload at the parent who's just so unreasonable and such a heavy burden to you. You're tempted to just marinate in bitterness because of what someone's done to you over the years. And you just, you just want to crawl into a hole of brokenness and anger and just die there. You're tempted to just, man, I don't want to confess to that person what I know I should confess. Look, look at how they are to me. And you just don't want to humble yourself because you don't want to get shot down. You don't want to put yourself out there. and and maybe sometimes you need to be you know you need to be smart and not do that but maybe there's a situation where you know it's with a loved one you know that it's time to bring to that conflict your own failure and not just perseverate on their failure but you just don't want to and you struggle in those moments do you know what's going on in jesus heart well hebrews tells us without ceasing to be holy, without ceasing to take sin seriously. He is hurting for you in those moments. He has compassion for you in those moments. He feels deeply, deeply for you in those moments. He feels deeply for you in those moments. And, and Hebrews goes on to tell us why you know, in, in some ways, of course, he's God and he's loving, but there's more to it. Our passage tells us that he was tempted in every way as we are, in every respect. He was tempted in every category. You know, he wasn't tempted with the internet not working. He wasn't tempted with um, your wife forgetting to fill up the gas. He he didn't go through those in our year 2022 issues, but those categories of tempted to be impatient, tempted to be angry, tempted to be lustful. He, he, those are all categories that he knows. It it doesn't have to be the precise technical definition of what we go through, but those basic categories were more real to them, more real to him than they are to us. He was tempted to be jealous and bitter. He was tempted to be furious, and condemn. He was tempted to be sexually immoral. He was tempted to be controlled by fear and anxiety and give up on God. He was tempted to mistrust God. He was tempted to be lazy, to be indifferent, to put his hope not in God, but in his ability to manipulate his way out of a situation or exploit people for his own comfort. There is no category of human experience in temptation you will ever go through that Jesus cannot relate to. He went through it too. And he never sinned. He never sinned. Jesus never let those temptations do what they often do to us, entice him away from God. Never. In, in every single temptation, he fought. He set his face like flint to put his hope in the Lord, the Lord's deliverance through the Spirit, and to obey his Father in every case. And that's really good news for us. It, it, it means that he knows the pain and the power of temptation even better than we do because he never gave in to it. A guy named B.F. Westcott tries to put it this way. Jesus' sympathy with the sinner in his trial does not depend on the experience of sin, but on the experience of the strength of the temptation to sin, which only the sinless can know in its full intensity. In other words, as soon as you and I give in to the temptation, it goes away. But if we were to continue fighting it, it may increase in its intensity to a place that we wouldn't know when we give in to it. In other words, if we give in when temptation gets to level five, we don't know how hard it would have been to resist temptation at level 10. Does that make sense? If we give in at level five to be lazy, to be angry, we don't know what it would have been like to stick it out for another 10 minutes and give in when temptation got to level 10. Jesus knows what it is to face temptation down at level 100. He knows what it's like to feel that pain, to feel that struggle. It hurt him. He felt the full weight of sin's call, and he never gave into it. He fought until he won every time. And for him, that fighting, just like it very often does to us, it meant suffering. It meant denying himself. It meant instead of, I mean, when we, get, when we finally unload in that conflict with that person, and we say, you know, we're, we're just listening, we're just listening, we're just listening, and then finally, ah! We get right back at them, you know? Oh, it just feels like such a release. The walls are broken down. We're just getting right back. Temptation's over. If we sat there and we listened and we felt the pressure externally from their sin against us, we felt the pressure internally from our desire to just pound back instead of love our enemies. Oh, uh, it would be harder. It would be harder. And I know you know that because many times by God's grace, you do push all the way through and you do bite your tongue and you do experience that suffering of what it was to bite your tongue. Jesus did that every single time and he suffered through it all. His fighting against his sin or against temptation to sin, he never sinned. His fighting, it meant suffering. Hebrews 2.18 tells us that he suffered when he was tempted and because of that it says he is able to help those who are tempted he suffered when he's tempted all the way to 11 or all the way to 100 and so he's able to help us who are struggling at level 10. hebrew seven fifteen tells us that on earth jesus prayed with loud cries and tears He prayed to God with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. Jesus suffered through life as a human, struggling to rely on God and not give in to sin. And now that experience of suffering against sin's lures and enticements, of that suffering through that vulnerability to want to walk away from the Lord and give in to the easy way. It fills his heart for compassion for you. When you feel those pangs every time, he's filled with compassion. You know, I think we can tend to think that it was easy for Jesus to be Jesus, like when it comes to following God. That his perfection meant this kind of almost Vulcan-like emotionlessness. But that's not at all the picture we get from Scripture. Like he didn't spend his life in the clouds, just being so holy that he might as well have been an alien to us. He was human. He was human. He stubbed his toe. <laughs> if he was alive today in my house, he would st- have would walked on the Lego again and again and cried out in pain. Why'd you leave that out? I don't know if he would have cried out in pain and anger, but he 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 got acne, probably. He had some imperfections in his skin. He went to the bathroom. He got overtired. He got famished. He got lonely. He thought things were funny. Sometimes he sang songs. He loved to sing. He had romantic feelings. He was a human being. And he got very angry. He got very sad. He got very troubled in his heart. And there were times, listen, there were times when he really struggled to follow God. I didn't say he didn't or that he sinned. There were times where he really struggled to follow God. Think about the Garden of Gethsemane. The night before Jesus takes all our sin and shame upon himself, the night before he bears the fullness of God's judgment, the full weight of God's punishment for our sin, which was God's will for him. That was God's will for him. We know that on that night, Jesus deeply struggled with God's will for him. We know that he deeply, deeply wanted a way out of that will for him. We know that it was inconceivably painful in his heart for him to do God's will. He was tried that night with such great pain. At the thought of experiencing the condemnation of his father for you and for me that the gospels tell us that he his sweat became like drops of blood now listen I, I think there's really good reason to believe that that it was that that sweating drops of blood was not a metaphor did you know there is a rare medical condition called hematidrosis Hematridrosis that causes the blood vessels around our sweat glands to burst, causing blood itself to seep into our sweat. Do you know what the cause of hematidrosis is? The cause of hematidrosis, the bursting of blood vessels so that our sweat mingles with our blood and pours out of our skin pores, the cause of that condition is extreme anguish extreme anguish luke tells us that jesus was in he uses the word agony in mark 14 13 jesus says this my soul is consumed with sorrow to the point of death i'm not ready to say jesus was speaking metaphorically He knew what was coming upon him, the judgment of God for the sins of the world. He was in anguish about what was about to happen to him. And that night, he cried out to God for another way. He cried out to God for another way besides God's will for him, a different way if possible. And Matthew tells us that he goes back and forth between prayer and going over to his disciples and going and praying and going back to his disciples and praying and going back to, he does this three times. He's, he's, I don't want to, he is in real trouble emotionally. He's in anguish. He can't sit still. He, he, he wants a way out and he, he deals with wanting that way out by going in desperate prayer to his father please give me a way out if it's possible please get me out of this he keeps doing that going to his father until he's strengthened by his father that there is no other way that there is no other way and he's strengthened by his father to resign himself to do his father's will so My point in saying all this is to say, do you think that Jesus cannot relate to you when you're tempted to give in to your longings to follow another way besides God's will? Jesus knows what it's like for you to feel incredibly weak when it comes to following God. Jesus knows what it's like for you to feel incredibly weak when it comes to following God. And he knows how to endure that weakness until he says, yet not my will, but yours be done. And so now when he sees you and me weak in our battle with, you fill in the blank, weak in your battle with, Anger, bitterness, hopelessness, lust—whatever it is—he feels compassion, deep sympathy, born out of his own experience as a human, vulnerable to deeply wanting a way out. So you know, when I, as I read that, and as I've marinated this, and I've, I, you know, I've been reading. Uh, Gentle and Lowly, this beautiful book by Dane Ortland that has a couple of chapters on this sympathy of Jesus, this longing feeling of him. I've just asked myself again. I want to ask you guys again. Why do we ever try to deal with our sin on our own? Why do we ever try to deal with our sin on our own? Because don't we? Don't we? I mean, it, don't we just run to self-sufficiency? Like, I I can do this. I can get through this. Or or we run to just giving up without going to him, without putting up a fight. Or we run to just wallowing in anxiety, you know, about what we're probably going to do, what we're what we're going to fail at or what Or we just give into indifference about it, out of a kind of a numb apathy. But why would we do that when the son of God became man and suffered all this temptation so that he could help you in every single circumstance that you go through. And now I want to ask you another question though. What about when we just full-on fail? Like, How should we think of the Lord when we just full-on fail? Like the temptations over and we've just failed. I mean, does his compassion end at that point? We know the Lord disciplines those he loves. We know there are consequences. We know that we can grieve his spirit. We know that he might even have fatherly anger, not a judicial judging anger, but a fatherly kind that he had with Moses, the burning bush. So does his compassion in those moments, is it overcome by his frustration, by his grief at our sin? No, it's not overcome. His compassion remains. Verse 5-2 says this that we read today. Verse 5-2 says this, Hebrews 5-2. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself is beset with weaknesses. Now, in that verse right there, he's talking about people who have gone astray not people who are struggling not to but people who have they've gone astray and his attitude in our going astray is an attitude of gentleness towards us because he knows how vulnerable we are to sin his attitude is gentleness he controls his heart It doesn't mean he flatters us or he pretends sin wasn't real it doesn't mean that he isn't grieved sometimes but it means that his anger his grief it will never overcome his love for us his gentleness towards us will control his mood so to speak and as a father has compassion on his children. A good father, a good mother has compassion on their children. God is gracious to us and has compassion for us even when we fail. So, what this means is that when we have failed, when we stray from Him, we must not fear coming back to Him. We must not fear coming back to Him. We're going to feel unworthy. We're going to feel undeserving. That's all true, and it doesn't matter. We must not fear coming back to Him. Actually, we should fear not coming back to Him. Ortland puts it this way. This is a, I think this is a really profound and really good bit of truth here. Ortland says, what elicits tenderness, he's talking about that gentle response of Jesus in our sin. He says, what elicits tenderness from Jesus is not the severity of the sin, but whether the sinner comes to him. Whatever our offense, he deals gently with us. If we never come to him, we will experience a judgment. So fierce, it will be like a double-edged sword coming out of his mouth at us. Now, Ortland's talking about walking away from Jesus and never coming back to him. And he says, if we never come back to him, we will experience a judgment so fierce it will be like a double-edged sword coming out of his mouth at us. That's what the first couple of verses in Hebrews 4 today told us. But then he says, if we do come to him, as fierce as his lion-like judgment would have been against us so deep, will be his lamb-like tenderness for us. We will be enveloped in one or the other. To no one will Jesus be neutral. So (laughs) to kind of sum up, when we have strayed, when we have gone astray from Jesus, we must not fear coming back to him. We must fear not coming back to him because Jesus' compassion will not fail if we come back to him. It embraces us when having fallen, we turn again to God through him. John tries to say it this way in his first letter, my little children, and I have that slide, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. This this is very similar to the author of Hebrews saying and making clear that that when we fail, Jesus is gentle with us. When we fail, Jesus remains our advocate. He remains our defense against condemnation that we might deserve. He remains our intercessor. The Greek literally means that Jesus as advocate, that word advocate, it, it talks about one who pleads the cause of another one who pleads the cause of another when you sin jesus does not stop interceding for you he does not stop being compassionate for you he does not stop being gentle with you instead he pleads your cause and you might say well what caught like what's he gonna plead you know albert got angry uh, got albert got sinfully angry at jen you know for the 148th time Albert was given to laziness for the 517th time, you know, this year. Lord, is is that what he's going to plead? Like <laughs> He pleads our cause. But he doesn't plead our cause based on our hearts, on our performance. No, it says it says he is the pro- he is the propitiation for our sins. There's that strange word again, propitiation. It means the atoning offering for our sin. That atoning offering of Jesus that turns aside God's judgment and instead ushers in his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness again and again. So Jesus pleads our case, but he doesn't plead our case based on our hearts. He pleads our case based on his once for all offering for all of our sins, past, present and future. We're back to that, that beautiful truth we saw at the beginning of our solution today. He's our great high priest making the offering for all of our sin. He pleads our case based on his blood. So, so what's left for us to do with all this? We're landing the plane now. Hebrews 4.16 is really the application of the whole passage. Hebrews 4.16 is really the application of the whole passage. And the application for us is, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Here's the conclusion of this passage. Let us draw near. Let us draw near to the throne of grace to receive the mercy and the grace that we need in our time of need. The application is you and I are commanded to come to God anytime, every time we're in need, in temptation, in failure, come to God. In struggle, when we've sinned, come to God. Before we've sinned, after we've sinned, come to God and know confidently we will be met with grace and mercy. That's the application brothers and sisters if we're to have a persevering faith an authentic faith a faith that lasts a faith that doesn't give up a faith that wants to be genuine a faith that wants to battle with sin and and into to love and given to goodness if we're to have that kind of faith we must and we will be those who come again and again and again to god for his grace and mercy because we're gonna be people who fight against sin and fight for faithfulness, not relying on our own character or our own moral fortitude or our own ethical might, which is gonna let us down, which is never gonna be enough. We're gonna be those who rely on him, who come to this gentle, compassionate God, and we, who's suffered so much so that every moment he has compassion for us in our struggle. That's the whole point. God sent his son, to us so that we might always come to him all the time he sent his son to us so that we could live lives always coming to him all the time i mean always i mean always all day anytime like spend as much time as you can in the attitude of your heart in his throne room because it's not like, if you, if you really think about it, if, if you really do the evaluating, like, it's not like you're never not needy. Like, when are we not really needy? Like, just set up camp in the throne room. Just bring your sterno and your sleeping bag and your pillow and some, and just, and your, you know, your mac and cheese and just stay there. Like, just stay there. Like, that's... That's I want you to be your, your resolution for 2022, for 2022. I'm just going to camp out in God's throne of grace and mercy because I'm either leading up to a struggle with sin or in struggle with sin, or I've just blown it. So I'm just going to just camp there. But I, I do, I do want to ask you to reflect for a moment. What is in your heart right now? What is in your heart right now that you think God wants you to grow away from and into like like what is is there is there something in your life right now some besetting sin that you just are struggling with so much that you just can't overcome that, that there's a battle with bitterness maybe instead of love there's a a war with hopelessness instead of trust there's a a battle with laziness or apathy or lust that you just feel like you just you just can't beat you can't break out of Like, what is just too big for you right now? What's been too big for you in 2021? I want to encourage you on the basis of everything we've said. Jesus knows that already. He knows what it feels for you to struggle and be bound and to fail. And he does not have condemnation for you at all. He only has compassion for you not condemnation. I'm not saying he's not grieved. I'm not saying there isn't some sort of fatherly anger at times, but it doesn't ever eclipse his compassion. He has no condemnation for you, no condemnation, no judgment for you. He has compassion for you in that. He feels the pain of that in your life, and it hurts his heart. It hurts his heart Because any of the condemnation, he's taken care of that on the cross. He's judged that in his son already. There's no judgment left for you. There's just, there's just, hey, I want to help you. I want to help you with this. And guess what? I can help you. Will you believe me that I can help you? That's what he's asking of us. Will you come with confidence? Maybe it's a mustard seed. But may the Lord's word work something in your and my heart to say, yeah, this is how good he is. This is how good I need him to be, that he would help me in this. Because I'm so tired of this. It's such a struggle. It's so painful. But if I know that Jesus hurts in my hurting in this, like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come to him more. I'm going to hope in him more. I, I wish I could, there are some stories I just, I, I feel like, you know, I can't name names. <laughs> I can't name certain situations, but I have seen this week ways in which I have felt such obstacles to obey, obeying God, to saying things that I shouldn't say, or to saying things that I know I should say, but I just, I just can't like, I I just feel like everything on the front end in, in several situations this week has just been I can't. I can't. I can't say that thing to that person. It's too hard. It's too hard. And oh my gosh, realizing, you know, if I don't, that's terrible. <laughs> I can't give you the details. It'll it'll it, like there are just things this week that I've seen I've needed to do. The idea of not doing them has been so awful to think that I, I won't do it. And other things where I just don't want to do them. I, I just it's too humbling. It's too hard. Too many failures, you know, to, to get back into the ring again. And and I mean, some massive quitting points, some massive, no way, no way, no way. Like historic. And also like, man, what a failure I am to not say that thing to that person. Like, how can I be a pastor and not say that and dreading it, you know, or in in the case with some, a conflict with Jen this week, like I don't want to go back to her and, and eat crow again. Like, no, 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 no. And you know what? Because I've been marinating here. I think what i've done more than anything this week in those situations i have just said to my soul there is nowhere else to go for you albert like this is either true or you've got nothing and i have camped out in those in those areas i've in those quitting points i've camped out in the throne i've just said lord i am gonna with even a mustard seed of faith i'm just gonna believe that you care about this, that you're hurting for me right now, that you're sympathetic. I don't deserve it, but you actually are sympathetic for me. You're compassionate for me in this place, and you're going to help me. Like You know exactly what I need to get me off the floor, to get me across the line. You know exactly what I need, and and he has. He has in a couple of ways this week that are just mind-blowing to me, mind-blowing, and that's not the first time. And so often my failure is just not going to him. Like, so that's so often that's the crux of my failure is I just don't go. I don't draw near. I don't draw near. So this year, 2022, let's be the people who draw near. Let's camp out. Let's set up the sterno kit. Let's set up the sleeping bag in his throne. Let's just get used to drawing near every day, a hundred times a day, just be glorious beggars. (laughs) Just keep asking, keep drawing near, keep banking on his sympathetic, patient, kind, compassion, and his great power to get us out of stuff that we never, never could get out of ourselves. Let's bank on him. Let's put our hope in him. Amen? Amen. Lord, please let this year be a year where we We use our great high priest, our sympathetic, sufficient, merciful, gracious Jesus, gentle and compassionate. Let this be a year we use him like we never have before. We make use of this gracious high priest, this throne of grace, like we never have before. Please, God, please give us the grace and mercy we need right now to be convicted that you're here for us, that we desperately need you, and you are Fully here and able and sufficient, Lord. Lord, let this be the year, like no year before, of our great high priest in our lives. Drawing near, drawing near, drawing near. Lord, let us draw near again and again. Let us not grow weary of drawing near again and again and again and again. And Lord, please meet us as we do because of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.